0: One. Hi, welcome to our new episode of Not Your Typical Wellness Podcast. I'm your co-host, Anna Galley, with my co-host, Ashley. Hi. Hi, and we have two incredible herbalists and healers here with us today, husband-wife team, Peter Galley and Amy Dawson from Yindu Herbal Medicine. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Hi. Full disclosure: Peter is my brother, and Amy is my sister-in-law. Uh, <laughs> but that works in my favor because they truly are remarkable herbalists, and I'm so lucky to be in such close contact with them. Um, so today, we wanted to talk about their process, their herbal medicine, but particularly the Endure blend, which they made for our company, Elemental Wellness. Isn't that right, Ashley?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, for the last couple of years, our practice, Elemental Wellness, has been asked to treat runners at the Malibu Half Marathon. Um, So, we've been part of the recovery team. And this year, we wanted to do something a little bit special for runners. We wanted to support them in another way beyond just acupuncture. And so, we decided we wanted to try and come up with an herbal product that would help with um, recovery, with sports performance, help protect the tissues. So, of course, we uh, called up Amy and Peter and um, and and asked them if they could help us to make this happen so here we are yeah, was
2: a, yeah it was a pleasure to formulate it, it yeah
1: and, and actually it it was far greater than our expectations we had runners um, who who actually got the product on a Saturday and then the race was Sunday morning and people came up to us after the race and told us that they were setting person that they set personal records. For their run. And they truly believe that it was the drops. It was the only thing they did differently. So, I mean, quick results, incredible results. People were stoked. We're stoked. So we should talk about yeah.
0: it. Yeah, but let's, let's start off, Peter. Amy, give us a little bit about your background, how you got into herbal medicine, and what, um, what made you decide to start Yin Do Your Company?
3: Okay, I'll go first. Um, I feel like because we have two different paths to how we came to Yindu. And so I started herbal medicine. Um, I was actually preparing to go to Chinese medicine school so I could study herbs because I really didn't know another that there was another avenue to studying herbal medicine, you know, like as a like, you know, professional way. And so through that process of you know, getting the credentials to go to Chinese medicine school. Um, I had just had my son and it was like kind of a pivotal moment. It was like, okay, either go down this track or another track came up. And it was um, through Western medicine, like folk herbalism. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to take that path because after my having my baby, it was just, you know, it was recovery time. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw you know, it was the Gaia School of Healing, and it was located in Topanga. Uh, I just felt like this is really where I need to be. This is like what feels really nourishing in a way that I want to, you know, I was interested in learning herbs because it was all uh, uh, like sensorial. So you're like sitting with the herbs, you're tasting the herbs, you're learning about where they grow. Um, And I just, that really drew me in. And so I decided to take that route. And so it was just really interesting because, you know, Peter's obviously from like a very strong, as you two are as well, like Chinese medicine background. And it was just became really evident that we were going to kind of bridge these worlds, you know, and um, yeah. And then Yin Du happened actually like right around this time, winter solstice two years ago. So it was during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I was working a lot with Shamanic Journey because that was something that my school taught me to do. And part of our project, like our end of year project was making and presenting medicine, but it wasn't like launching a company. It was just like really making what wanted to come through. And so that's why I was working with Shamanic Journey. And what came through were these three special blends and then it just unfolded to become Yindu. So Yendu was not a like concept from my brain. It just like I really worked with shamanic journey to see what wanted to come through me. And it became Yindu. It was just really untraditional. Um, and then of course with Peter's, you know, influence. He always wanted to have an apothecary for his, you know, Chinese medicine, his acupuncture practice. And so they just really kind of segue together. And then it just kept unfolding.
2: Tell them about the story about Datura. I mean, Datura is our symbol. Datura is a flower. It's a name for a flower that locally is called um, momoy in Chumash or Toloake in Spanish. Um, it's Datura raiti or uh, sacred Datura um, but tell them a little bit about that because it forms our symbol and it's important uh, and it came up in shamanic journeying uh, if you feel comfortable. Can you
1: yes. also explain a little what you mean by shamanic journeying, Amy?
2: Yes.
3: Yeah. So shamanic journey, um, I was we were taught to uh, have this experience and, you know, it's typically with a drum and you go into uh, like a dream state or like a theta state. And what happens a lot is that like I had to keep practicing it because I would just like conk out and then I'd wake up and it'd just be like, I don't know what happened. You know, so like as you practice doing shamanic journey and kind of delving into this world, it's like you have two, like a foot in like the physical, like here we are now we're talking and then like a foot in the like ethereal realms Mm -hmm. and then they kind of blend together and so the idea is like I would go into these dream work realms with a question or sometimes like no question at all. I would just be like, I want to go check this out, I want to explore, I want to play, and then kind of bring it back into the here and now, like the physical, like you know, place that we're in. Wow. And so that is how like, and I would go there with Datura. So the the flower that Peter's talking about. Um, was one of the first plant spirit medicine experiences that I had. Again, this was guided by my teacher um, at the Gaia School of Healing. Her name's Marisha. And yeah, she had us just really um, kind of go out of like our thinking mind and just explore from this place that was uh, like non analytical. And so. I connected deeply with this flower, Datura, immediately. It was on the farm, you know, just kind of growing randomly. And you'll see Datura growing all over Southern California. Um,
0: Wait, let me ask you, Amy, just to clarify. Datura is poisonous, so you didn't physically take it, correct? No.
3: Yeah, Datura, that's such a great question, Anna, because, yes, like I've never ingested Datura. Uh, I've worked with Datura, like, as flower essence, and you can do that safely. But I would definitely recommend, you know, you need to know, have somebody show you or like, like, let you know that it is totally like you're in good place with it. Um, But yeah, you can go up to Datura and you don't need to ingest Datura at all. Like most of my experiences with Datura was just sitting with the plant and meditating and going into shamanic journey. So that was kind of my um, goal or my intent, whenever I would go into shamanic journey, I was just like, I want to meet you. Like, I want to meet this flower. I want to meet this spirit and this essence behind this flower that, cause I was getting very, uh, I was getting messages and just physical experiences from just sitting and laying under the flower and like meditating with the flower. And so Datura is on our bottles. Like you'll see, like Datura is everywhere because Datura is actually the the guiding spirit of Yindu, like the underlying foundation completely. So through Datura, through Shamanic Journey with Datura, I found uh, how to make medicine. Like I wouldn't think like, oh, I'm going to make a lung tonic. I would, or I'm going to make, you know, something that, you know, for like a specific purpose. Like when I first started making medicine, it was all through guidance. And so uh, one of the blends that came together, which I have now on Yindu, is Kava Kava and vanilla bean glycerin. Mm -hmm. So it's vanilla bean glycerin and then Kava Kava extracted in alcohol blended together. And so that was, you know, just straight through Datura. Like Datura showed me, um, that these two plants go really well together because of the inherent uh,
2: vulnerability.
3: That's a great, yeah, vulnerability. And to like in order to have vanilla and Kava Kava here, they require human touch. And so like the propagation through Kava Kava like has to be done with a human as well, like in order to propagate. Like we're interwoven. We
1: have to work together.
3: Yes, and vanilla bean is the same way; it has to be hand pollinated um, now. And so Um. the two together is I, I put together and understood that it would be a great aid for healers and practitioners in the healing space because of this beautiful like symbiosis of plants and people together working healing like it just yeah
0: we're going to pause for a minute i'm getting an error warning that says here we go i just want a hot dog
3: now i want now
2: You're i right. want dropping from a from a floor
3: oh wow that's okay, what okay. we're, we're oh, back recording. we
0: took a short break okay so i you know i want to get to peter's origin story as well and amy what you said was so beautiful And I think it's so um, foreign to Western minds, even myself, you know, we have an herbalism component in Chinese medicine school, that it wasn't until I was sitting in ayahuasca ceremonies that someone said, oh, well, you don't need to ingest the ayahuasca for the spirit of ayahuasca to communicate with you and change you and help you and be a medicine for you. And I remember at the time that concept like blowing my mind. But then further in my discussions with you, Amy, and you sharing that same wisdom with me and me thinking like, oh, my God, it opened up this whole world of like, not only what's possible, but what is really the the reality with plants is that Mm -hmm. they all have spirits and and sentience and um, helpful qualities. And you don't need to eat them to communicate with them, which I I think is just a mind blowing paradigm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so Peter, tell us, how did, how did you get into Chinese medicine school? Tell us, tell us about you.
2: Yeah, yeah it's an interesting story. I originally uh, found Chinese medicine school through herbs. Uh, interestingly enough, I was in New York with Amy and um, I got a book in the mail from my sister, you, <laughs> and it was about herbal medicine preparations and at that time, I was studying a lot of uh, Weston Price Foundation, um, nutritional information. Uh, I was really into that for a while. And I was wanting to get into herbs. I didn't even really know what I was doing. I walked down the street um, in New York to a place called the flower shop,
3: flower power. flower
2: power. Yeah. And it was an apothecary, which I didn't even know what that was at the time. I just walked in and saw all these glass jars. And I saw all these herbs and I just was like, I, uh, I'll i just, you know, kind of, I don't know what I want. And the attendant there helped me. Um, and I got some black, I know now i actually didn't know what it was at the time. I just in my living memory now thinking back, I know the herbs, but at the time I just didn't even know, but it was black cohosh actually, raspberry leaf, um, motherwort actually. Um, and we just, drank these herbs, they were on our counter and we just messed with them. We had no real understanding. Um, I got the book later and then started to see all these medical preparations um, and from Anna and then so eventually I uh, thought that that's what I would do when I started to transition out of what I was doing up in New York. Uh, So I came to California and I thought I would pursue a herbal medicine certificate. But when I looked at the herbal medicine certificates that I could see online at the time, uh, there were only three weekends. And I felt inherently that if I, for some reason, there was a nagging need to treat uh, complicated and serious illness or illness that was difficult to treat for whatever reason. And that's a deeper mystery that I'm still trying to uncover. Um, so I was looking around for herbal schools, didn't find any. And I went to uh, the local grocery store and I found a Ronti Garden book. And Ronti Garden, is a kind of a famous and infamous in our field. I would say um, he's part of the uh, generation of tonic herbalists that um, came out of uh, a relationship with Chinese tonic herbalism, which is um, kind of a long in history that I'm not going to get into. But it's definitely famous and infamous. There's 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 two sides to it. Um, so anyway, but I read his book and it talked about ser- treating serious illness, supporting serious illness, and that. It was out of a medical paradigm called Chinese medicine. Um, And so I looked up Chinese medicine schools. I saw there was a four-year program. And I thought, oh, this might prepare me or equip me to be able to treat illness that was complicated. So I went to school. uh, And I actually was practicing to become an herbalist. Um, I was tutoring in in, in herbalism. And I was prepared to go down that route, the classical route, with a text called the Treatise on Cold Damage um, or Cold Injury. Um, but then halfway through, I started finding the original text of needle therapy, heat therapy and herbs and the Yellow Emperor's Inner Classic. I started studying that through various means and my modality became specifically needle and heat therapy uh, as described by that text and trying to at least learn that. Um, while I was in school, I still had those herbal ties though. And I started working for a local apothecary on researching sourcing. And when I did that, uh, that was not a pleasant experience. When I was researching sources, I found that the whole uh, event of an herb coming from specifically China uh, is fraught with difficulties, actually. Um, There's a lot of opportunistic um, uh, issues that are going on. And when the herbs finally get to the United States or Europe, often things happen where entire crates are switched. Things are said that they're organic and they're not. And I was troubled by this. And I called all the major herb companies, which I won't name. And there was a lot of uh, negative reaction just for simple questioning, like, Hey, where do you get your herbs from? Or can I see your certificate of analysis? Wow, Um, some would threaten us like a small apothecary just for asking the question. Um, And then some would tell us, oh, we will get those to you. And they never did. Uh, And what I realized was there was only one company for specifically Chinese herbs, that was actually doing due diligence, and that was spring wind in California. And so for this local apothecary, I submitted my research and they changed all of their stock because of that. And I developed a small uh, interaction with the person that owns Springwind, Andrew Ellis, and talked to him about the process and his rigorous analysis of herbs. Uh, And that was kind of my foray into it. But I still lacked a physical relationship with the plants. And I didn't really know that that's what I was missing. Uh, so when Amy started to feel her call and go to this experiential school where she was in nature, ingesting plants, and she came across a book uh, called Sacred Plant Medicine from Stephen Harrod Buhner. And in that, he talked about how plants talk to you and are part of a living framework or web of reality that you are also within. And we started tasting plants together. And then the need for proper sourcing, which I really knew that that was essential to create uh, incredible medicine because your source of herb is your medicinal texture that you get. So you have to have good quality herbs and not just like a name that says good quality herbs. Truly, when you get them, they have to smell medicinal, like they have to smell like, like medicine, like plants that are rich with compounds. Those two things came together and I wanted to work with herbs with patients I didn't have an outlet to it uh dried herbs or what's called raw in, in tcm practice are sometimes a little bit tricky to give to patients we found out later that that's not true and that's a, another conversation but i needed a way to process medicine make it quick uh in terms of uh, being able to get medicine out when i needed to for a patient and get the sourcing together and, and when amy started having that experiential you know, experience. And she transferred that to me. Then it was like, wow, these plants are living. And actually, when you taste them, you know what they do, because you feel what they do in your body. Um, and then when you apply that with the analytics, then you can come to a full practice. So that's kind of how yin was born or birthed.
0: Yeah, I think it's so amazing how in Chinese medicine school, at least in California, you know, we, are, we become licensed herbalists and acupuncturists. But Herbal medicine is taught to us purely academically. Yeah. Like, right. we, we never have to look at the plants if we don't want to, you know? I mean, we've this... add a few pieces of dried herb in the little plastic baggie with the
1: label, right? But that's the extent of it. And that's just, that doesn't let you go deep enough, you know? It's, it's not a deep learning, for sure. So, no.
2: Stephen no. has this great quote where he says, uh, when he goes to these conferences, when he's trying to talk about these plants... In the beginning, he tries to name the sources of why he knows the information he knows. And then eventually he just stops in the middle of the book and he says, but truly, this knowledge or this way of using them comes from the plants as it always has from the plants themselves. And when you look at uh, indigenous relationship to plants, they say, no, no, the plants told me. And that's always from the clash of anthropology to indigenous use of medicines, and uh, allopathic medical paradigm is is an ugly one. And one of those ugly moments is when they're like, "What do you mean? Are you serious? It taught it told you." So there's these anecdotes that Stephen will tell about how indigenous uh, people will. There's a certain plant where they would sneak up on it, and they said, "If you don't sneak up on the plant, it won't give proper medicine." And they basically, when this hits, you know, the ears of allopathic medical reductionism they're like what this is ridiculous basically like look, look, look at you know these people who don't know anything about the world this sort of patronizing quality that we see in allopathic medicine uh, and yet that plant if it does sniff your secretions in the air in the wind it registers you as an herbivore so what it will do is it will shift its compounds around to make the alkaloids bitter and actually will shift its medicinal um, uh, um constituents yeah. so that when you go to touch that berry it tastes like hell <laughs> and because yeah. it knows you're coming so what they did was they literally snuck up on it because they said the plant could smell you well that's true the plant literally is smelling not by a nose but by perceiving and receiving volatile organic chemicals in the air which is one of the main sources of their communication anyway so their perception which is put in quote unquote simplified language hey sneak up on that plant if you want the the sweet berries is now turned into a is, is patronized by a reductionist thinking mm-hmm. um, so anyway so plants and the relationship to plants are always through this complicated uh, communication
1: wow that's i mean it's incredible. incredible i mean it's to reconcile that too in in a practical way in our modern time with you know like you said, the importance of sourcing and the challenges around that and, and how can we utilize the powers of plants and this medicine in, in this way that allows them to be their best selves while, you know, also like who, how, how many of us in our daily lives have time to go out and do these things and communicate in these ways. And so how, you know, how, how, how do we merge these two challenges, right?
2: Yes.
3: And I will say that if you think about it like that, like, Oh my gosh, like this is like another thing I have to learn. Like this takes a long time, but really like you can start by, you know, like as an herbalist um, you know, just make sure you know your plants, but you just put them in your body Mm. every day, a little bit. Like infusions are great. Um, We work a lot with tinctures now because of, you know, just ease. And we do know the plants that we tincture. Um, But you can start by doing overnight infusions and just sipping the plant. Do simples, like one plant at a time. And then you can see like how it feels, what's happening. You can do, you know, short meditations. You can do like a walking meditation where you go out in nature. You know, like I think of burdock because that was one of the first plants that I, you know, started working with. And I mean that first month completely changed my life. Like it was insane. It was nuts. Like just sipping this simple root, you know, this weed. Mm-hmm. And I know it's commonly used in Chinese medicine too. I think they call it go, gobo. Yeah, that's the. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a way that you can start out, and it's just like hanging out in the background, yeah. like throughout your whole day. Yeah. And then you just start to notice shifts and changes, and you know, I think like, it's
1: about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go on.
3: No, just, I
1: was just. I. think it's also about you know uh, value systems and and helping bring this to the Western world. I mean, all the Western you know plants have been in the West for a very long time, but I feel like Western allopathic minds, right? This reductionist mind that you talk about, like we have to somehow convince people that plants are important in this way and that it is valuable to get to know them, to get to start using them, to integrate them into our lives. Right. And I mean, and we saw that with, with this blend. like, let's talk a little bit about, um, your process that you've described so far and then how you came up with this incredible blend. And did you, did you, did you, How did you come up with it? Like, what was your... uh,
2: Yeah. Yeah. um,
1: Did they just come to you? Did they speak to you? Or did you go more of a science route? Or You know what I mean? So tell us about your
2: process. (laughs) Yeah, it's the interweaving. Uh, It's the interweaving, exactly. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned Stephen's name many times, and it will probably just continue because uh, he really is a a trailblazer uh, in this field. Uh, One of the things he says and he talks about is the perception of the heart and how the heart is the locus of true perception and and feeling and that you utilize that center of the heart and you use the information that's sensorially coming in and then you process it through the different areas of your body and the brain being one of them. So the brain is a storehouse of knowledge, but how we develop and make meaning Comes and our relational meaning comes from the heart, so it's it's a repository. So the process that we go through is much like composing a poem or uh, making paints. It's a sensorial process where there's an ask or a call in the human community or family, whether it's a patient or in this case it's a blend. So we need something to help people that are stressing their bodies, um, that are going through a rigorous exercise. Uh, so. There's a known data bank, an observation that occurs that we have for herbs. There's a lot of research that's done in, in a, mostly other countries because in other countries, they don't have the herb hysteria or hang up we seem to do in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, they just know that herbs are helpful, that they work in different ways. They're helpful for some things and are not for other things. There's a there's a realism about medicine. Um And so you have this huge body of observations, and then you merge that with your own personal experiences uh, and other forms of knowledge. So traditional knowledge is one of those, indigenous knowledge. Um, There is many tracks and forms of herbalism inside the United States. And Stephen will talk about this in terms of the unique landscape, actually, the United States has because of indigenous, because of Appalachian medicine, because of European medicine. There's a huge... a a melting pot to use a, to use a phrase about United States Mm -hmm. uh, uh, of of herbalism here. So there are multiple ways of knowing. And so what you do is you, you have this ask and then you put it in that bank of personal knowledge, a world knowledge, observational knowledge, and then you come to a decision about something. So this was no different for that blend. Um, And so the main acts are, Someone is stressing their body. Typically when they go over about three to five miles, Mm -hmm. the body starts to do all these different processes. It starts sweating profusely, no matter what the climate is outside, it starts burning lots of calories. Uh, The immune system starts responding. And if there's any negative energy, uh, sorry, injuries like uh, predisposed injuries, those are going to take a hit. Mm -hmm. So you have those problems. And what are the main systems that are being taxed in a long run? Specifically, it's the kidneys the heart and the lungs so you're going to want to find herbs that specifically improve those processes and so we have not only the observational data of that we also have the lived experience of it so you just merge those two together so for this one to protect the kidneys and to help the energy of the body we went to cordyceps and schisandra. um And those two have been shown to in observational studies to preserve the cells of the kidneys, to improve the mitochondria of the kidneys, the heart, the lungs, the liver, to also improve the creation of immunity that is generated from the bone marrow that actually goes to your joint capsule. So you, so every part of your body has its own specific way of dealing with pathogens and breakdown, and the joint is no different. So it has its own environment in that tissue. And so those are specifically protect that. Um, and then, and so this is, so what happens is we get a feeling for a blend, and then it's like, okay, we have this feeling. I feel like these herbs want to work together. We sit down. She, you know, we were talking. She goes, you know, we need Cassandra. And then I was thinking, oh, you know, you know, Stephen talks about angustifolia for inhibiting hyaluronidase, which is a type of enzyme that mm-hmm. breaks down hyaluronic acid. We should add that because it's going to help joints. And then it's like, okay. And then we're feeling the blend at the same time. So we know the taste of the medicines. We're
3: we're tasting, you know, we're, we're kind of, we have all of our plants and simples. And so what we do is we like, you know, drop, you know, a little bit, taste it, kind of see what's going on, see if they dance well together. Cause sometimes if it's not just bitter, like bitter is not, doesn't taste bad, but like, you know, when something is like, really fluid together and when something's kind of like oh like it needs a little it's almost like cooking honestly it's like yeah. like whenever you're combining flavors and herbs and and foods it's like there's a there's a balance that happens and so we look for that in the taste as well
2: it's like music too you're you're yeah. you're using your sensorium to feel dissonance or consonance, and you can feel that across mediums you know and the, people will talk about synesthesia You know like a rarity but that and then that's not true you you, the, the the senses can always blend and mix and move um and so it's no different with herbs so it's so it's okay we have this ask now we have our knowledge that is one type of knowledge and we have our knowledge of our lived knowledge and then we have our knowledge of our traditional knowledge and then we you know we put all that together um and so then you know we move we keep moving okay there needs to be more in here because there's more systems that are stressed so ashwagandha is a great joint protector too and it also uh, improves the shape of the red blood cell profile so it's going to help improve oxygenation and right there then you're thinking rhodiola because rhodiola at the site of the lung tissue actually improves oxygen uptake and has also shown if you are working out if you're sedentary rhodiola doesn't do this but if you're working out it will improve your exercise intolerance uh, meaning it will improve your ability to exercise so and now well we have rhodiola.
1: Sorry to interrupt you, but this is immediate. This is an immediate so, response.
2: Yes, Order so blood. Well, so blood compounds and plants are very complicated. They have different levels of how much that you need for them to be active, and they're various. But rhodiola is pretty immediate. So it's it's well known that rhodiola helps you when you go to high altitude uh, because it helps the utilization of oxygen. Um, and so yeah, that, those are pretty immediate. There are others that take longer to build up. Um, and also, there, there are ones that are, have an immediate effect, but the effect of them, so for instance, improving your immunity in your joint capsule, that happens immediately. But for your joint capsule to then change over time, if you have pre-existing damage, that would take time, because you need that immunity in place for then the joint to change as you move through time. And that's dependent on how much damage is there. So, uh, and then just finally, to wrap that up, speaking of damage, that's the issue with long distance running is if you don't have any damaged joints, you're walking out there fresh as a, you know, a newborn, basically, um, you're okay, you actually won't start these degradation processes, no matter how long you run. But many of us have nagging injuries. So what happens is you're running and you have a joint that's already not working well. It's already having some type of inflammatory response. And then when that inflammatory response, the compression begins. Mm-hmm. and then that fluid is already inflamed and then you're adding compression and then you're adding um connective tissue that actually in lymphatics that don't pull it well because it's inflamed and swollen and now you get joint degradation mm-hmm. so what the angustifolia does in that moment is stops that response where you're starting to break down hyaluronic acid because this is a longer discussion but hyaluronic acid its breakdown actually results in healing. But the problem in a joint is that it creates scar tissue. So what you want to do is you don't want that to happen when you're running. So that part is the gustafolia part. Um, and so basically, the 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 process of developing a blend, like, you know, we're saying is it's this complex, artistic process where you're trying to fit all these things together. Um, yeah, and then just the last one you leave throw, it's just a very, it's an amazing stress Reducer and increase the body's ability to deal with stress. Mm -hmm. Um, So what happens is again, if your system is relaxed like that during a stressful event, you also make better decisions and also your body moves literally better. Like a good example is like you're rushing late to work and you try to get out of your car and you try to grab your coffee cup and you just spill it everywhere. Or you trip over something, you run into the door. That's because your stress response is so high that you've lost proprioception. You literally don't know where you are anymore. You don't know your body in space. So
1: you just solved. all so, you just answered so many questions for me, Peter. That's incredible.
0: I didn't know that. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. That's, so I basically, with this,
0: I didn't know that, but um, I had a I had a teacher a long time ago where I was like, I was. She was like, "Oh, how you doing?" I was like, "I keep falling. Like, I keep running into things and falling." And She goes. That means she's like that means something's going on in your life you need to check out and you need to like do some self-care. So I had somebody tell yeah. me like that idea in like folk wisdom a long time ago but yeah. I didn't know the science behind it. It's- yeah, your your of course. Yeah, it's
2: your that in that that direct relationship to your environment. And 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 again this speaks to a longer story which is much more it's it's very beautiful and interesting that we live on a planet with other beings that develop compounds that directly help our experience. And that is gets into the more deeper mystery of the planet and why you can talk to plants. And that's not so quote unquote, deemed crazy, because these plants can can literally help you be more aware in your life, and and people have been using plants before people were considered people. Animals eat plants, you know. So there's this gift giving that occurs that is inherent in the system of nature. That you know, at least from my perception, in our in our community, in our current world, at least in the you know our our you know where our country is, is it, we don't we don't recognize that exactly. network. But you know, anyway.
0: No, it's so true. And I find myself really trapped by the Western um, mind, you know, Western capitalism, you know, allopathic mindset myself, even as a Chinese medicine practitioner, and technically a licensed herbalist, although it's hard to call myself an herbalist when I talk to you guys. Uh, But um, There are levels
2: levels of practice, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, So but but the one, the one that the one sort of like thought exercise that really breaks me out of that mindset is the thought exercise of where do you think this Sudafed is coming from where do you think your tylenol comes from right where, where do you think the plastic container you hold comes from where do you think your car comes from it all comes from earth and it all comes from plants all medicine is derived from plants or fungi, I guess you could say. Um, Humans
2: do. Humans, human animals.
0: Too. animals, horse urine, horse urines, and a lot of uh, pharmaceuticals. And that basically, the pharmaceutical process is a is making it synthesized, synthetic, breaking it down, you know, stripping it of its complexity to form it into something new. And so, like, in a way, when you're taking pharmaceuticals. You're still taking plants now, you know. Caveats are that it's yeah. generally not as good as you for you has side effects. It's chemical; it's been chemically treated. All this sorts of stuff. But like, it, you know, I think when people are really just Western medicine minded, oh, I'm just going to trust the, the science, quote unquote, or I'm just going to do what my Western doctor tells me to do, quote unquote. I'm like, it's still coming from the same source, you know? Yeah, just a different so method. That, that's always a- Powerful um, way for me to kind of check myself when I find myself in that own, that same mindset. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
3: I think it's one that we had to really unravel from too. I mean, you know, I feel like had the that perfect you know junction of like my life of having a baby and just feeling like I cannot go sit in a classroom right now. Like I just don't have it in me. I just knew it. I was like, I and I'm like a little bit stubborn and like. You know, I'm like, well, I'm going to go for it. Like I was just I didn't have it in me. I was like, I'm not going to go for it. I'm not going to push myself like I'm going to go lay under this tree because that feels really nice, you know, and it was just such a long process. Like I remember thinking like. Like whenever I would get these beautiful messages that I know weren't coming from me because I had never seen or said or thought of anything like that like, you know, some of these messages that were coming through at the beginning and just through the support of having the community of other people who are going through that process of like, Oh, like, so you're talking to plants too. Like, what'd you dream about? Or, you know, and just sharing and, and supporting each other. We just like kind of like over time. And I still you know, like sometimes have it too, like where, you know, especially working with, with people that come with those concerns, you know, Um, like about plants being like deeply like afraid of plants, like they're going to kill me, you know, Mm. um, like some people I've experienced that and, you know, it's just an interesting place to be. Um, I feel like it's something that I can relate to as well. Like I remember being afraid of herbs too, at at one point in my life, because of all these messages, like, even if I didn't hear it directly, like images, it's just been building for a long time, that paradigm. And so these statements it does, are
1: not approved by the FDA.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. you no, know, and like right. just stuff like that. I mean, that's caused complications for us too. You know, it's just like, well, like how do we speak to that language too? Like, how do we, you know, like not confront, but no, like just know where the, Something else is in the room that is not true. Yeah. But also like managing that fear. And like you just feel it in yourself too, like you're saying, like when it comes through and you're yeah, like feeling like you're in this mid middle ground of like science yeah, and kind of trapped in the middle. middle. Exactly. Of the yeah. 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 Now
1: there's one. Think, other-
2: uh, oh, go ahead, Peter. Go. Well, I just think that, um, I think the big thing is, is that, um, you know, that we started to move through is understanding that um, science and observation are not equivalent to a medical paradigm or a, a treatment modality. And that is the big thing I think that really freed us because we realized that Observations are free in the sense that they are part of the human way of perceiving reality, their oldest time. And observations that use different means, uh, for instance, use an instrument to observe something like a mic- microscope, are still part of the same lineage of looking at something and trying to be uh, aware of it in general. And then developing methods of data to quantify or, in you know, the like late like last 50 years, qualification of data the quality or the the sense of it um and so this these different forms of observation they're free they're free to anyone what you do with that observation is what defines your paradigm and i think the the biggest issue is that reductionism um mathematical models on the complexity of living systems uh, which is what you know the idea of allopathic medicine you know bases its ideas and or the idea of evidence-based medicine requires reductionism to be viable because you have to reduce the thing to its constituents because what you're trying to get to is a clear slate of observation they're trying to remove all variables right. and the problem with that is living systems you cannot remove all variables you cannot they are too complex um so plants actually fit very well but it requires another way of understanding them that fully embraces these special abilities that humans do have and have been exhibiting for millions of years so like one of them is the best way to tell tell if a fruit is good or a crop is good or an herb is good is one way and one way only a human mouth a human nose Human fingers, Hey, and you just farmers. Oh no, this something went happened this year. I didn't. Something happened to the soil, and it's not right. I didn't add this or whatever it is. These, this is not a good year. It was too hot. It was too dry. This incredible. When you look at indigenous uh, lexicon of plants of their 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 book, they can name every single plant. That knowledge is a lot, a lot mostly been lost because of assimilation, but they could name every every single plant.
1: Yeah,
2: in their living. Space that level of knowledge is in, is is prodigious. It's beyond encyclopedic. But there's this feeling like humans reductionism. The problem with it is it inherently diminishes personal experience inherently because you have to be objective, not subjective. Even though that's a falsehood. So what happens is you you have a personal experience of something, but then you don't have the language in the reductionist mind to actually deal with it. That's just yeah, like that's just you thinking some stuff, you know, and that's the mind that comes in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the problem is, is how do you deal with that in a medicine that is completely resistant to reductionism? Meaning you have to test the whole plant compound. Well, which plant is it? This plant is so your you their sides B or A or C or, well, this part has more B and then, well, we don't, that doesn't work with plants. You can do it. It gives you a, a, a color of knowledge, but it's not the only knowledge. And so, yeah, it's just when you look at pharmaceuticals and what they have to do, to them to change their components. And then you look at the the results of that, the amount of pollution, a lot of body damage, what they do because they're synthetic. Then you have to sit back and look at your paradigm. What is my paradigm telling me that that's okay? What do I think about the body that it's okay to reduce this compound and then change it so that it makes it harder for the body to get rid of it and makes it a forever chemical and it's going into our environment and destroying things and stuff like that your paradigm then has to be reevaluated. And I think it really took us a long time of going through that to really free ourselves of that. Um, so yeah, that's,
0: that's powerful. I know we're getting close to time to wrap up. And at the end, I'm going to ask you guys, um, to let people know where they can find you and your beautiful medicine. But I just want to say as a personal antidote, uh, before you had made the Endure blend, I had torn my other knee, my good knee. Uh, and I was in a lot of pain and I was wearing a knee brace to work and I had to get rid of a lot of my shoes cause I couldn't wear them. And, um, having, since having taken the Endure blend, I am back to hiking pretty much hundred percent normal back to yoga, pretty much hundred percent normal. This is about three months. So, uh, for me personally, it's been life changing. I don't have to wear a knee brace to work anymore. I don't have to take an ibuprofen to make it through a shift. So, um, I just personally want to say thank you because, uh, it's been life-changing for me.
2: Yeah. Really happy to hear that they're working for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And quickly, Peter,
1: can you, or Amy, either of you, can you talk a little about, um, the process that you, that you created for the cordyceps? Um, didn't you, Um, you did something unique and different to, um, to allow that into the tincture. Is that right? What, what was... Yeah. Different there. So there.
2: So plants uh, give di- different things depending on how they're extracted, and water is a is a is a way to extract things. Alcohol is a way to extract things. Um, the cordyceps, when they're used in Tibet, they're typically added to a alcoholic drink, and then the whole bodies are eaten after they've soaked a little bit, and the alcoholic drink is slightly alcoholic, but a little bit of water, and so often you'll hear this in mushroom discussions which is dual extraction of a mushroom and what that is is they're typically trying to do an alcohol extract and then also do a hot water extract and what they do is they make an alcohol extract but it doesn't get all of the constituents of the plant so they make a hot water one and then they combine them to preserve them because the issue with water extraction is that there's no preservative so it'll go bad in three or four days so what we did was we Soaked the cordyceps in alcohol to begin that alcoholic extraction, and then we added purified water and cooked it down into a one-to-one syrup. So what that means is there's a pound of cordyceps for 16 ounces of of liquid, and so you get this very strong extract of cordyceps. And then we use that syrup, which is not um, shelf stable because even though it has a small amount of alcohol, it doesn't have enough. And then we add that to the alcohol extracts of the other five plants, thus bringing the total alcohol content to around 40%, which is really, you don't want to go below about 40 to 45% if you want that 10 year shelf life. So in that way, we were able to extract all the medicine from the cordyceps while still maintaining a potency, uh, you know, a medicinal potency and also maintaining shelf life.
1: Wow. That's incredible. That's really cool. Um, and then, and then on the on the bottle, it gives you a dosage recommendation. H- how does that apply if, say, you know, a hundred and ten pound female takes it versus a two hundred and thirty pound I, man, you know, or whoever?
2: Yeah. Like what, yes. The question. How do you know the question is you dos-
1: need? And is there too totally. much?
2: Sure. The question of dosages uh, and dosing is. Um, really interesting. Um, so we've been working with plants for a little while now. And uh, dosages, and Stephen talks a lot about this, are very personal. Mm. So other than children, which you unilaterally just form a large line across children, because you don't want to make take any chances. Uh, and you don't always know how children's bodies react, because they're so much smaller. Mm. But for anyone that's over 80, 90 pounds as an adult, dosages are highly specific. So Mm. you could drink that whole bottle, that one ounce bottle and be fine. You could have one drop of it and notice an effect. Mm. Uh, Sometimes it has to do with weight. Sometimes not. Mm. Sometimes people's physiology, when you move certain things, are highly sensitive, no matter what size they are. So dosage is, the standard dose is one dropper full in one ounce of water three times a day. But what I tell people is, and you know, we've experienced this a lot with patients, both Amy and I, is that how did you feel after you took one dropper full? That's just the basic question. Did it help you? Well, no, I didn't really feel much of an effect. Okay, that's fine. Take three dropper fulls. What did you feel? Oh, I noticed that my joints are a little bit smoother, but I'm still a little tired. Okay, Take six dropperfuls three times a day. What do you feel then? Oh, I feel a little too like i'm I'm too am. I can't couldn't sleep that night. Okay. Drop the dosage in the evening. Don't take it in the evening. Take six in the morning, six in the afternoon. How's that? Oh, that's just right. I feel my joints are loose. I feel enough energy, I feel more strength. my, my breathing feels better. I can sleep like a baby at night. So dosages are always prescribed and prescriptive, but truly, and I noticed this with myself, like the other day, she made, um, Amy made a, a overnight infusion for our son who, who has a cough that sometimes comes and goes very light amount of herbs. Um, and he's feeling a much better on that small dilute amount. And I drank some, and I was like, oh, I, I feel a lot better. It's a very small amount. So you really have to explore your own body, explore the effects and be your own recorder of effects. Um, take a very personal relationship to what you're ingesting and see, does it make me feel better? And that's how you know you're dosaging.
1: That's amazing. Yeah.
3: Makes sense. Yeah, one of the things we've been doing with people that we support with herbs is like we've kind of been moving into this like as directed dosing mm-hmm. and you know, trying to encourage people to kind of step into their own relationship with the medicine. I feel like that's a really important part is to not be like. I feel like, in my experience, when I've given somebody something, uh, you know, any type of medicine, whether it's a tincture or an infusion, if they don't feel like they have a relationship to it and like they just keep coming back, like asking me questions that I feel like they can really answer for themselves and I want them to, because then they become in relationship with their body, their illness or ailment, whatever they're kind of trying to have plants help them with mm-hmm. and i feel like it kind of dissolves the fear around putting the medicine in the body cuz there is a little subtle fear sometimes with people that aren't so comfortable with herbs you know right. but they it want to
1: more- right it requires a certain mindfulness and tapping into your own intuition right and that's kind mm-hmm. of what i tell my patients who who i've given some of your other medicines to it's you know, I, I say it's, it's, it can be a very intuitive process, right? Take it, be aware of your body, see how you feel, just like yes. you guys know, are saying. And, and, you know, you find the
0: right balance with it.
2: What did you experience, Anna? What was your preferred dosages? When did you take it? And
0: Well, I was in a lot of pain. So, um, and I was like struggling in my day-to-day life. Um, just walking, being like ambulatory, and am- Did I say that Mm -hmm. word right? You know what I meant? Mm -hmm. Walking. And, uh, so I was taking three full droppers a day and that's when I noticed, I think I called you Peter. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Hey, I took this today and my knee doesn't hurt. Is that normal? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. you were like, yeah, that's totally possible. Um, so I took three full droppers a day for probably two months, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've just run out, so I'm not taking any at the moment. And I I feel great. My joints feel fantastic. Um, And as somebody with janky joints, that's not a statement you'll hear me say often. So for me, it was three times a day. But I think now that I'm recovered, once I get my next bottle, I'll probably do one, maybe two, see how I feel.
2: And that's exactly just a great example of how you can work with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like one example – That uh, Stephen will give is take an ounce, an ounce of motherwort tincture at night if you want to sleep. An ounce, so that's half of a shot. Um, You know, medicinal plants in general, save for a few that are known to be, um, you know, depressants of the CNS, which often are, you know, cooked to make sure that they don't do that. But save those very few herbs. Most herbs you can take a lot of like way more than you think and you can you, you'll have great effects um and that's just that process of getting to know it and knowing the plant compounds um yeah
3: yeah i had a friend we have a sleep blend and i found out you know they were just taking one drop <laughs> one drop
2: this happened to me with the sleep blend the other day i was talking to a, <laughs> a practitioner and they said oh you know it didn't really help me and i said oh, okay i said well how many did you take and they said well i took one dropper at night a uh, dropper not a drop and I said, "Oh no, no, no! Take six droppers." They said, six. I said, "Yeah, yeah. Take six droppers the night, and if you wake up, take another six. And they sent me an email the next day and they said, "Yeah, that that worked." That
3: worked. Yeah, I asked my, you know, this person. I was like, "I mean, did it work?" <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "Well, you know, kind of." And I told him, I was like, "It's a full dropper." Yeah three full drops. get the medicine in, and then they they messaged me and they're just like wow 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 i slept through the whole night and <laughs> it was, was just hilarious. I was I, like, three drops
2: and i think this gets at also <laughs> too like this is okay for medicine to have different effects at different dosages and like this is a big shocker i feel like as a practitioner i had to grow to accept this and work with this not work that's okay too what it means is that the system is asking for something else mm-hmm. but we know that these medicines affect physiology, period, period. When you take them, when you ingest them, they will change your physiology. If it's right for you, that is the process, the art of being a clinician. That's the art of being a person trying to treat your own illness. That's, that's just the process of life. Right. Like you, you just, that, that's it. So these, these plants, they do something. Mm-hmm. do they do something for you that's a, a greater story and maybe it's not enough maybe it's not the extraction maybe it needs to be water maybe it needs to be alcohol maybe you need to just brew a hot overnight infusion you know maybe you have to change some lifestyle things and take them and then boom oh man there was your change so that again that gets back to the earlier conversation about reductionism mm-hmm. around what are we actually living in this this very complex web um, and it kind of breaks these sort of um, precon preconceptions we have when we work with medicines that don't fit into a reductionist model it's like well it you have to explore them and that's yeah. just part of the process
1: and that's completely different from the you know you take this much this many times a day do not exceed this amount these hard rules of pharmaceutical drugs that we've you know been exposed yes, to yes so it makes us feel like if if you're telling me that you know it might be one dropper, it might be six droppers. How can this? How can this work? How can this be real medicine? But totally. you have to just become okay with this different process because it is a totally yes. different process, but yes. no less effective. I mean,
2: yes, yeah. And and I think this gets back to body intelligence and also synthesized um, medicines, drugs. They carry with them. Um, typically depends on the medicine, extremely onerous side effects. Mm -hmm. And that's really because that's why dosaging is so important, which, by the way, is a whole another complicated thing about dose dependent response, which is something that is not talked about. But sometimes you don't even need a large dose uh, of a a synthetic uh, to have extreme response. And we're seeing this in the environment now. You can very small amounts of Xanax and completely change fish, uh, uh, sex, sex expression, like a tiny trillionths of a part. So that that is in a, for in a real, you know, you have to follow those prescriptions in general, because when they're synthesized like that, the effects are deleterious. Whereas most plants, you know, there are some where you get maybe nausea when you have too much, or you sweat too much, or you have a stomach ache, but your kidney, you know, you're, you know, you don't have organ failure. You know, like there, there's a huge gap there. And I think, I, I think it's spot on, Ashley, is that that's a, that's, that's a holdover. And how do you work with that?
1: Right. It's a process. Wow. You guys, this has been an incredible conversation. I, I'm, my head is spinning. I'm so excited. This is um, definitely something I think we have to have around two and go deeper into some of yeah. these topics for sure. Um,
0: I, I agree. I agree. But-
1: but yeah, I want to thank you both so much for the, this incredible medicine, this blend, and for taking the time with, to talk with us today.
0: And where can people find you guys if people want to try your medicine? Well,
3: you can find us through our website. It's yendu.com.
2: Y I N D E W.com. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes. And we also we have an Instagram it's yendu underscore herbal medicine uh so we're we're active on there but the best place would be our website excellent and you
2: know we work with practitioners and we work with the general public so um you know if you if you are a practitioner wanting medicine for us to make medicine make you custom blends we do that we make custom syrups salves uh we're pretty crafty so we've made all different types of medicine um and if you're someone from the general public then we also make blends and medicines and consult too. So that's our, our full scope of our practice.
0: And Peter, if somebody wanted to come to you for acupuncture services, should they reach out on Yindu or is there another?
2: Yeah, they can reach out on Yindu. That's just fine. You just send an email through there and, and then that works just perfect.
0: Great. All right. Thank Great. you so much for having you us can. on. We
2: really appreciated you talking about everything.
0: Thank you.
1: Thanks Thank guys. you, guys. And uh, we will be back with another episode soon. In the new year. All right, have a good one.